7 and verse number 1. We will start there. A very, very short verse for our Bible study tonight. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Very short passage of Scripture. Easy passage to memorize. Often quoted. Often used. Often used. But tonight we want to put this passage of Scripture in context and glean from it tonight and see what God is trying to speak to each and every one of us. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. Saying of Jesus, I want to speak for a few moments tonight on dogs, pearls, and swine. Dogs, pearls, and swine. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask that you would direct us tonight. We give to you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated here tonight. So this passage of Scripture that we're reading is part of a larger passage of Scripture. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. The beginning happens in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, <clears throat> and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he begins the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. It continues through chapter 5, chapter 6, and it ends in chapter 7, verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, at least in the book of Matthew, which is a gospel, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount in chapter number 5. He ends it in chapter number 7. Our passage that we have read started in chapter number 7 and verse number 1. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, is teaching about the kingdom of God and how a kingdom servant, that would be us, a kingdom servant should act in that kingdom. I want to say right now from the outset, I'm thankful to be in the kingdom of God. Amen. The Lord's prayer said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're on the earth, but we're operating by heavenly principles. And the anointing that we feel in the house of God is not an earthly thing in this place. It's not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we create. We just give God praise, and he dwells, and he inhabits in the praise of his people. Why don't we clap our hands right now and give him thanks and show some appreciation for his anointing. Amen. Praise God. So this is a teaching to servant-minded people serving in the kingdom of God on how they should act, how, how they should respond in the kingdom. There are some great passages from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7 that is found in this Sermon on the Mount. There's teachings about what is called the Beatitudes that start in chapter number 5. The first part of chapter number 5, Jesus begins to speak and he talks about things like, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
He speaks in this passage about the triadic or the three-natured meanings of Jesus. You have heard it said of old time. You're caught in a vicious cycle, but I say unto you. And so he fulfills and he brings a greater depth to what was known. Those people sitting there in front of him had heard those things all their lives. And Jesus astonished them because there was a depth to his understanding about those things. He got to the core of the matter and he penetrated the heart of, of the matter. And he talked to them about not just doing something to be doing it, but doing it from the right reasons and motives. And it starts in the heart. Amen. In this teaching, these kind of things come out. He taught in this passage how to pray. The whole Lord's Prayer is found in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about how to pray and then how it is presented. The same thing with fasting. Pharisees stand on the street corners. Jesus gave a teaching on what was the proper way of praying and fasting. He gave to us in this passage the way to view material things. And what true wisdom is, a wise man versus a foolish man. A foolish man builds his house on the sand, but a wise man builds his house on a rock. Storms that come, they will not, their, their structure will not fall depending on what they are building upon. And so all of this is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we read our text, and our text is one of the most misunderstood and misquoted passages in all of the Bible. Many times people will like to use it as a weapon and point back and say, judge not lest you be judged. And they take things out of context. And so that's our introduction here tonight. We're looking at a very, very fascinating passage of scripture that is very, very short. But what you need to note is that all scripture should be taken in context. And context is very, very important. And there's different types of context for example, in this very passage, there is a literary context. That means what genre of book are we looking at? Of all the books in the Bible, some of them are very different than other books in the Bible. Some are historical. Uh, some of them are wisdom sayings. And here in this passage of Scripture, what is, what's the genre? What's the style? What's the literature in the Bible that we're reading? We're reading a gospel. This is the gospel of Matthew. So there is a literary context. There's a historical context. When did this happen? It didn't just fall out of the sky somewhere. It was anchored in a historical setting. Jesus, in his ministry, is teaching to those that have gathered together on the Sermon on the Mount. He's presenting kingdom-minded principles. They're in a certain time in which they're under Roman rule. There's a lot of issues with that. They're at a time in which religious groups are pronounced. We don't see any of that at the end of the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden the New Testament shows up and we have Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. Where did they all come from? What, what's going on here? It's because in that period of 400 silent years when there is no prophet, they start anchoring their existence and purpose in the scriptures and in the traditions of what the scriptures are supposed to mean. If there's no prophet to speak, then somehow you've got to speak to your culture and your time frame. And so they elevated the Talmud and the Mishnah, which were the traditions on, 
on what scripture is supposed to mean and what you're supposed to do. For example, on the Sabbath, if you're not supposed to work, how many steps do you take? Found that fascinating. <clears throat> when we were in Israel, there's a certain amount of steps that you can take. Beyond that, you're violating the Sabbath. Where'd that come from? It came from the traditions trying to define what it meant by not working on the Sabbath. So the historical context is in that first century, and Jesus has arrived on the scene. John the Baptist has preached out in the wilderness, and he said, there's one coming after me that's mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and loot. and he's going to do a new thing. Things are about to happen, and he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Some of you involved in the Messiah should have been quicker on that because there's supposed to be a response there. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and he's going to baptize you with fire. And so there is an understanding then that we are in a particular historical setting. So there is what type of book are we reading? What is the history? And then there is also a theological context. And so when you study the Bible, you need to study all of these contexts and fit it rightly. That's what rightly dividing the word should do. And that will help us not cherry pick this first verse, judge ye not, judge not that you be not just, and use it incorrectly. Jesus is obviously making a point here, and we need to look at the entire context of what he is saying. And, and there's a whole thought that is connected to it. So let's look at the whole thought then. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. The whole thought is six verses. It starts in verse 1 and it goes through 6. How many of you have your Bibles here tonight? Whether it is an old school Bible, I have in my hands here the Premier Study Bible, uh, or if it's in a technological Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible and you didn't bring a Bible, then they are going to accommodate us by putting it up on the wall so that you can view it. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1 through 6 is the entire, they call it pericope. Uh, periscope goes up out of the water in a submarine and looks around. All right. We get periscope from pericope, which is a segment, a thought. And Jesus is presenting a thought here, and it's six verses. Let's read it. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure, everyone say measure, what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, or the speck, or something that is very small, but considerest not the beam that is in the plank that is in thine own eye? Or wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. This is where I'm taking dogs, pearls, and swine. It's all connected, and Jesus is giving a complete thought here. Jesus, in this passage of scripture, is not making a blanket prohibition against all judgment and discernment. That is not what he is suggesting. He is striking at a self-centered pride. 
And so a good summary of where he's trying to go is don't judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. Oh, this is very difficult for us to do <laughs> because we, we, we like to judge other folks' problems because we know what they need, but we don't examine our own selves. And this, has become, this becomes our human nature. And so Jesus is saying there's a measure here, and, and, and that's important. The primary interpretation is found in verse number 5 where he commands the listeners to help their brothers and sisters with the speck in their eye. So he's not saying don't judge at all because he says it is necessary to examine the speck. But how you examine the speck in your brother's eye or your sister's eye is what is important. It's only after you take the beam out of your own eye. And then you can examine the speck that is in someone else's eye. And so Jesus is not giving a clear uh, prohibition against any judgment. He's not saying that at all. And typically when people use that, they feel judged. And so they, they know enough of the scripture to use that. Because it's a short verse, and judge not lest ye be judged. Jesus is not saying don't judge anything. He's saying when you judge, make sure you're doing it in a right way. This is what he is saying. This presumes that we all recognize we have the ability to offend, we have the capacity to offend our brother and our sister. And so we need to think of ourselves before we judge somebody else. This is what Jesus is trying to point out. And so he's against no judgment whatsoever kind of an interpretation. And he speaks about that in the dogs, the pearls, and the swine statement. Because he says there, don't cast things before, don't cast your pearls before dogs or swine. And so what he's really trying to help us focus on is that we should exercise humble judgment when it comes to other people. Not becoming someone who is self-righteous, but willing to examine ourselves before we measure out judgment upon others. This is found, that humbleness is found all throughout the scripture. It's a theme. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are they do, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's humbleness there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. There's got to be a measure of humbleness in your actions. Matthew chapter 4 and verse or chapter 5 and verse 44. But I say unto you love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which spite despitefully use you and persecute you. 
And lastly, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So everything that Jesus is saying in this judge not statement is that before we make a judgment, we should judge ourselves. That's did at communion we're so quick man we want to bring out the gavel and pronounce judgment on somebody but before we do that let's examine ourselves in terms of what God has richly done in our life and so before we judge let's make sure that we examine ourselves before we make a determination and an edict and a judgment on somebody praise God Praise God. It is one thing to exercise judgment, and it's quite another thing to have a judgmental attitude. One is an action that you can carry out right or wrong. You can make a judgment that's right or wrong. The other is a negative character quality. If, if you are judgmental, it is a negative character quality. Nobody can do anything right because you know better because you are the supreme judge this is what Jesus is striking at before you go there and set up your throne and sit in Moses seat make sure you examine yourself so that you measure out the right judgment and this is where Jesus is trying to point the discussion and it's kind of interesting because it would seem like is this a misplaced theme Prideful judgment seems kind of a radical departure from the flow of his sermon. He, he's, he's talking about all these things that I already mentioned. And then he comes here and he says, judge not lest ye be judged. But it's within a context. And we start to see where Jesus is going. He had been prior to this. He's challenging the people to rise above what had been wrongly considered the ultimate height of righteousness. The ultimate height of righteousness was defined by that spiritual group called the Pharisees. And so people naturally thought that that was the height of righteousness, pharisaical self-righteousness. And, and Jesus said, your righteousness is to supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. Meaning, what he was getting at there is, it's not just an act that you do, but it's the motives behind what you do. Praise God. I came to the house of God tonight not to be seen of you, but I came tonight to praise God. If I'm coming tonight only to be seen of you, then I'm doing something that is not connected to right motives. And so Jesus was providing a deeper understanding. Well, it's righteous to be faithful. It's righteous to be here. It's righteous to make an appearance. But if it's just an appearance and it's not coming from my heart, then my motives are not right. And when people get separated from motives and action and it gets too far, you're talking about a disaster. You can only live so far like that. 
and most people don't really live like that, and pretty soon the cracks start to appear, and there's a failure somewhere, and everybody knows about it. You better make sure that your actions and your motives are as close. You should be working on getting them as close as possible. This way with them so that you can be somebody that's real, that you live for God because your heart is right, not because you're just doing something. So Jesus was trying to challenge them to go beyond what they expected as righteousness. Jesus knew that the human tendency is to take truth and to feed a new kind of hypocritical supremacy. What he didn't want, he already knew about the hypocritical followers of the Pharisees. What he didn't want is hypocritical followers of Jesus. This is why he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. I don't want you to be like them, and what I'm teaching you, I don't want you to be hypocritical followers of me. I want you to be real. And so he stopped and he warned them to apply his teaching First to themselves, everyone say themselves. Apply my teaching to yourself before you apply it to others. You say, I, I, where are you coming from? I'm coming here because it's human tendency to forget about everything that God for, that forgave you for and sit in the judgment seat and cast judgment when God, my, he pulled you out of a pit and a bunch of relationships and a bunch of things and you paid a lot of consequences and then, and then God did a miraculous thing by going back at all the things that you did and he put it all back together again and gave you opportunity to say God has done miraculous things and then all of a sudden you're quick to put judgment on somebody else's failure. When God has done so many things for you. So Jesus, in this teaching, he said, consider yourself before you consider other people. And this is the, this is the main application of verses 1 through 5. Our habitual response to Scripture must be to say, what about me rather than what about others? Man, I know sister so-and-so's problem. She's down on the other end of the row. Preach it, preacher. You're preaching. That's exactly what she needs. And then the preacher starts preaching at you, and then you're like, hey, don't, don't tread on my toes. We're good at that because we know. We know who's got the problem and who needs to be fixed and all of that until God starts dealing with us, and then we want God to take his hands off of us. And Jesus is trying to say here what needs to happen is it's got to start with you before you focus on anybody else. Praise God. The Greek word that is translated as judge, krino, it means to judge or to condemn or to discern. That's a really key point, to discern. We get our English word critic or criticize from that Greek word. What Jesus is really saying is you've got to get your own stuff right before you start working on other folks. <laughs> you got to focus on yourself. There, there's a popular psychologist nowadays that's very popular. We live in a, a certain context right now that's fascinating, and we live in a world that is very chaotic. And there is a psychologist from Canada 
that refuses to back down to a lot of political correctness. And right now he's kind of on the forefront of a lot of things that have to do with, with gender and political correctness and what have you. He's become very, very popular and he's written a book and it's a very good book. It's called 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And one of the chapters in that book is that you need to clean up your own house. That's the name of the chapter. His name is Jordan Peterson. And he is, he is attracting a lot, and by his own admission, he's attracting a lot of young men to some of his readings because they're wandering around with no purpose in life and they're look they're very nihilistic what does that mean there's no meaning to anything and so there, there's some ways of dealing with that nihilism means i don't find meaning in anything and so therefore i'm going to approach it in a variety of ways and he goes back and he uses the scripture he points out that this this goes all the way back to cain and abel and you follow it all the way through the scripture and even some very well-known literary individuals. And in that particular chapter, he talks about Tolstoy at the height of his fame, influence, and creative power. He was a towering figure, Leo Tolstoy. Found himself questioning the value of human existence. Now this is really dark stuff here. And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put my, uh, <clears throat> my response to it at the end, but it's, it's very, very dark and it, it it's a microscope into the mind of what a lot of people are facing today. Although Tolstoy didn't see the end result of what he himself found. He, he said, this is what he said, he reasoned in this way when he, he looked around him and he questioned the value of human existence. He said, my position was terrible. I knew that I could find nothing in the way of rational knowledge except a denial of life. And in faith, I could find nothing except a denial of reason. So, I, so I, I was at a crossroads. And so it followed that life is evil and people know it. They do not have to live, yet they have lived and they do live just as I myself have lived. And even though I had known for a long time that life is meaningless and evil, try as he might, he could only identify four means of escaping from such thoughts. So he looked around and he looked at the chaos in life and the tragedies in life. And at the height of his fame, he said, life is meaningless. There's nothing to it. He said, there's only four ways of dealing with it. One, you could retreat into a childlike ignorance of the problem. There's no problem. There's no issue. There's a great issue, ladies and gentlemen, in our world. We live in a world that is, in fact, chaos. And from the beginning of time, every civilization has asked the question of what is wrong? One of the things is how did I get here? One of the questions is who am I? One of the questions is what should I be doing? And then the last question that is very pertinent existentially is what in the world is wrong with this place that I'm in? How many times have we heard somebody that goes up into space and looks down on the earth and is amazed at how peaceful it looks and from up there, they're wondering, how in the world did we get to the place where down there it's full of chaos and tragedy? And this is a world that we live in. You would be childlike to say, oh, there's nothing wrong, it's all good. That would be one way of dealing with everything that you face or see in culture and in life. It's chaos. 
I mean, so much so that reading the news anymore is, I think they, they glorify that, and so they don't point out all the other things in life that can be inspiring, but that's what people gravitate to. And so you, you see what humanity does to each other and some of the things that they do. It's, it's a pretty chaotic world that we live in. And so that's one way. The second way was pursuing mindless pleasure. So you can bury your head in the sand and say, there's no problem. <clears throat> the gospel addresses that. There is a problem. It's called a sin problem. <laughs> and as long as there is sin, there's going to be confusion and dysfunction and everything. So the gospel addresses that problem. Or you can say, well, I'm just going to pursue mindless pleasure. I've met some folks like that. <laughs> I've worked with some of them before. What'd you do the weekend? Oh, man, it was great. I got smashed. It was a blast. I woke up the next day. I didn't even know who was with me. I didn't even know what I did. Oh, it was awesome. Can't wait for the weekend. What'd you do? I went to a conference or I went to church. Man, you're boring. Well, wait a minute. Who's boring? That's fun. I threw up for days. I've contracted stuff. I don't even know what it is, but man, we had a good time. That's insanity. So one way is to pursue mindless pleasure. A third way, Tolstoy said, is continuing to drag out a life that is evil and meaningless, knowing beforehand that nothing can come of it. And he said that's weakness because people in this category know that death is better than life, but they do not have the strength to act rationally and quickly put it to an end by killing themselves. I told you this is very dark, so this is the... This is tra the trajectory that he's going down. If life is meaningless and chaos, then, then life is a cruel joke, and it would be better to be dead than to be alive. A and one option is to go through life and drag it out. And so his fourth option was it involved strength and it involved energy, and it meant destroying life once that you realize it is evil and meaningless. And he said, only logically consistent people can act in this manner. And so he says, people in this particular case, they put an end to this stupid joke, and they use any means of doing it, a rope around the neck, a water, a knife in the heart, or a train, because life is meaningless. And this is a joke. And this is where he arrived. You know what he failed to recognize in the modern area, era? He failed to recognize in the modern era People, in fact, do that by committing suicide, but they commit murder in the process. So in other words, life is meaningless. I don't care. I'm going to take out as many people as I can while I go ahead and take my life. This is the chaos that we live in. This is the society that we live in. This goes all the way back to Tolstoy that looked at life and said it's meaningless. If it was meaningless then in his era, how much more do we look at the common landscape that we see nowadays and say, man, is there a purpose in life? What is going on? This is why people are running to try to fill the void in their life. And so ultimately, in this particular book by Jordan Peterson, he says, what are you going to do with all of those scenarios? Because ultimately, the way that you act in all of those is basically saying 
that you're going to resist and respond and protest against God. This is really what you're doing in everything that you're doing. Either pursuing things mindlessly in sensualism, that's a resistance against God. Burying your head in the sand is a resistance against God. Committing suicide is a resistance against God. Living out your life completely and dragging it out is a resistance against God. Killing a bunch of people along with your suicide is a resistance against God. It is vengeance just like Cain and Abel, in which Cain says, I'm jealous, I'm upset, and so I'm going to kill him in a protest against God. And so you have an opportunity of vengeance or transformation. What are you going to do with it? And this is where Jordan Peterson is helping a lot of young men in the world because this is where they are, a life with no existence and no meaning. Or what are you going to do with the things that are in your world, are you going to produce vengeance or are you going to produce transformation? And so this is what he says in his particular chapter. Set your house in order before you criticize the world. Take some responsibility and set things up right in your world before you go out and criticize the world. Fix the things that you can fix and start small. Don't say things that make you feel weak. Don't continually behave in the same despicable manner that has brought you misery in the past. But do something different. If you did something different for months and years, your life will become more fulfilling. Tragedies will simply be tragedies instead of being compounded with bitterness and deceit. And perhaps one day your life will cease to be a tragedy. Where does it start? It starts by you saying, I'm going to take care of my own house before I start taking care of everybody else's house. That'd be like a parent walking through the house and seeing the children's bedroom that looks like a bomb went off in it, right? And then saying, clean up your room. It's a mess. It's a disaster. All right, and then walking into your room and your room looks like somebody has invaded it and did a robbery and turned everything upside down. Fix the things that you can fix before you start fixing other people. This is what Jesus is saying. And really what he's saying in this is be a discerning person. Stop judging, get rid of a critical spirit and seek to be a discerning person Notice a lot of these passages very quickly about discernment. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. That takes discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. That takes discernment. James chapter 4 and verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So in, in these passages of Scripture, there is a... There is a, a principle of having discernment. 
He's not saying don't judge. He's saying make proper discernments. Verse number two of Acts chapter number seven, he, he puts the word in their measure. Whatever you measure out, it's going to be measured back to you. How, how much forgiveness do you want from God? And what God forgives you is how much forgiveness you give back to somebody else. Praise God. You see the difference there? You know why Jesus was doing that? It's because he was challenging them to make sure that there was a proper discernment of what they were doing. Verse 2 starts with a negative statement. If you judge harshly, God will judge you harshly. But it ends in a positive. If you judge generously, God will judge you generously. Amen. And so then he gives a great illustration coming from his own personal life as a carpenter. How is it that you, that God, you have this beam in your eye trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye? When first of all, I mean, if you're, if you're doing any kind of carpentry work and something gets in your eye, it's, it's troublesome. Sometimes you need help getting it out. So you need some help. Sometimes the speck that's in our eye, we need to remove it and we need some help, but not from the guy that's got a beam. Don't go to that guy. He's not going to help you. He's going to knock you in the head, injure you. You're going to be a bloodied mess before it's all over. Go to the person that has discernment. Oh, man, this is really, really good stuff. If you want to be counseled on something, go to people that understand the discernment of what God has done for them in their life. You're going to get better instruction than just running to anybody and ask them about stuff because sometimes you're not going to get the right judgment or the right counsel. Well, I'll tell you what should be done here. I know exactly how to get the speck out of your eye. Let me see here. I'll, okay. Just trying to keep you interested and awake. That's, that's, I know it's been a long day for some of you. And he's talking about the fellow disciples. So he's talking about the church community, but it, it can apply to anybody. He says, your brother. In conclusion tonight, the key element of the passage that cannot be separated from the first exhortation of judge not lest you be judged is found in verse 6, and it's very key. This is why you have to look at the whole thing. The next time somebody pops off with, Judge not lest ye be judged. You remember this title. Say back to them, dogs, pearls, and swine. And watch, because they're going to go, what? Yeah, dogs, pearls, and swine. It's connected. What's connected is that last verse that says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, Neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you or tear you apart. So Jesus gives a warning here. And it balances that first exhortation of judge not lest you be judged. So that there's no misconception that people don't think, well, I just can't make any judgments. 
And at first, this might be difficult because what is sacred? What's pearls? What's dogs? And what's pigs? Because it's not explained. The dogs are wild and pigs are unclean. And so the pearls, it's the truth that God gives. Don't, don't cast your pearls, the truth, before dogs and people that are, that are going to be opposed to the truth. And likely, these are people who are not only unbelievers, but they're enemies of the gospel. This is found in scripture. Just let me give you just a few. Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness at communion? What communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The dog and the pig are mentioned in that passage, the swine. Don't take what is sacred and pearls, the gospel, and take it to pigs and dogs that could mean anybody that persistently rejects the gospel of truth because that's going to be a waste of time and energy. When you present the gospel to somebody, you've done your job, and you can continue to do it, but at some point you're casting pearls before dogs and swine. And sometimes it's better to stop talking and just start living. And sometimes your testimony and your life is an example that speaks more than what you say. Praise God. Happens all over the city with people working in this city. It's an action. It's an example. You're, you're a living epistle read of men and women. So sometimes it's wise to stop. And if it's in a situation where it's a climate of growing persecution, Jesus said it could tear you to pieces. So there's a fine line between presenting the gospel and then doing too much. Praise God. Judge ye, judge not lest ye be judged is a part of an entire passage of scripture. Judge not does not mean don't judge at all. It means to make sure you have your own house in order before you judge, and that will allow you to judge matters with proper discernment. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. Be a person of discernment, and that means be a person in which you allow God to examine you before you examine other people. Man, what a spiritual truth. And it so goes against the grain of human nature. And this is why Jesus inserted it right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount because it was important to challenge those people to rise above the Pharisees that had no intention of doing anything different other than their actions. It wasn't about the motives of their heart. And so what Jesus was saying is there's a greater community in this church in which people examine, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling is another one. 
well, I'm just going to work out my salvation in fear, my own salvation in fear and trembling. Well, that doesn't mean you create your own doctrine. It's got to align with the scripture. And what does the scripture say about salvation? What it is trying to say is that's a personal responsibility that you have. Somebody else can't live for God for you. Somebody else can't save you. You've got to save yourself. So that's what that means. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying, you can judge and you can judge right and you can be someone that has discernment. But in order for that to happen, you got to clean up your own house before you try to rule a city. Dogs, pearls, and swine. As we stand together in the house of God tonight, we need to pray that God helps us judge matters the way that God measures us. Amen. Anybody thankful that God has given you an opportunity? Amen. Amen, amen. If you're going to get into any kind of pastoral ministry, any kind of leadership, it's going to have to be a value that you, you take to heart. Sometimes people are going to hurt you, say things about you, and you're going to be real quick to want to judge that a certain way. And yet, God calls us before we make those determinations to examine our own self before we make a judgment. Sometimes that crosses right against your human nature and what you would like to do. Praise God. Amen. But ultimately, what he's trying to achieve in us is a better spirituality and walk with God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray right now and let's ask God to help us make right judgments in a world that is so full of chaos I don't want vengeance what I want is transformation what I want is transformation in marriages transformation in lives transformations of people making decisions in life not a vengeance there's a reason to live because of God's kingdom it's found right here in these verses help me be an individual that transforms the world that is around me but in order to do that, I have to align myself with the will of God and the work of God. Praise God. Amen, amen. We need to pray for Sister Short. She is.